This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. With Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. It's our time of the week where accounting practitioners all over the world drop what they're doing or still keep walking their dog, doing the cooking, and tune into the Accounting Influencers Podcast. And coming up in this week's show, we start with the news. Got burnouts? Feeling bad? Feeling overworked? You're not alone. Accounting Today shows us five steps that can help curb burnout in accounting firms. We outline those for you and tell you what they mean. And we sit down Des O'Neill in our expert interview to find out what's happening on the accounting practitioner's horizon. What are the biggest threats facing accounting firms and what are the biggest opportunities coming up for them in the next two to three years? In Here's What Works, we look at one of the most tired cliches of all time. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Well, sadly, it may be tired, but it's particularly applicable in the accounting profession because empathizing with clients does more to convince them to work with you than any website or any award or any service line can possibly do. We take a look at empathy in detail. And finally, we interview Matt Baldwin for the second time. He's already spoken to us in a previous show about thought leadership in accounting firms. And this week, he's focusing on thought leaders. So who are the experts in your firm? Who are the content creators? Who's got something to say and something to share? We tell you the tips on how leaders can get their accountants and fianists to step up and produce more great content to own the narrative and shape the business owner's thinking. That is the Accounting Influencers Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Hey, Rob, I hope you're in the mood for a quiz because I've got a question for you. Who would you say is the world's first client engagement and commerce platform for professional services? Are you talking about something that streamlines how accountants, bookkeepers win new business, engage clients, get paid, those kind of things? Oh, exactly that, yes. It's got to be Ignition. Ooh, right, first time. It's because with Ignition, you can easily win new business with impressive digital proposals. You can engage new and existing clients with a clear scope of work and get paid on time by automating payment collection all in one place. What I love about it, it connects with all the leading apps to run a business on autopilot, automate those time-consuming tasks like client onboarding or invoicing. And you know what that means. That means less admin and it means more time for clients. So it's easy for you, easy for clients, win-win. So what do people do if they want to find out more, Martin, about Ignition? To get an exclusive discount of 25% on all Ignition plans, head to our special podcast partners page at accountinginfluencers.com where the Ignition offer will be waiting for you. And as always with the Accounting Influencers Podcast, we kick off Monday's episode with a look at the news. This is repeated on Tuesday as a standalone show, and it's where we invite Martin Bissett, who's been in this game a long, long time. He's got the lines and the grey hairs to show for it. What's been happening in the world of accounting? Martin, what have you been about with this week? It's worse now. It's white and ginger hairs. That's, that's, that's a real sign of death. Guy Pearson who is not the Guy Pearson you may be thinking of. But Guy Pearson has written in accounting today, something that I think will speak to every listener we've got. Sometimes when we do the news, there's a concern that it's too UK-centric or too US-centric, and that's because those are our biggest markets for this podcast. But this will reach everybody everywhere. And Guy's article is called Curbing Burnout in Accountants, the five steps that can help. Now, he opens the article with a very uh, straightforward sentence. As the language of business, um, accounting has continued to evolve to keep pace with the rapid change in the various industry landscapes. Straight away, the language of business. Do you, do you think of yourself and your firm, your skill set as the language of business? That's a great marketing angle straight away. I know you don't think like marketers do, but nevertheless, 
You speak the language of business. You deliver based on the language of business. It's a great starting point. Guy carries on by saying, with more and more businesses shifting to digitized models, we know that's true, and 74% of CFOs at large companies finding payment operation digitization very or extremely essential to their business goals, it's no surprise that the professional accounting and bookkeeping industry must shift too. And of course, I would just, just take issue with the use of industry there. It should be profession. Just on the back of that, Martin, we interviewed Chris Argent from Generation CFO just recently and compared CFOs and accountants. And the ultimate thing they both have in common, Chris said, and his community is 100,000 CFOs and accountants, is that they have to meet business demands. And to do that, you've got to be relevant to the business. You've got to be that right hand of the CEO. You've got to tell the stories behind the numbers and you've got to use the right vocabulary or language, as Guy Pearson is alluding to. Absolutely. So Guy sets up his five by saying to have an attractive place of work is to understand five, a few key tips and tricks. Now that have an attractive place to work, the number of firms, Rob, that come to me and talk to me about their struggle to recruit somebody, they're worried about how the website looks, they're worried about how the offices look, the equipment's a wee bit old and so on, they haven't got around to replacing it yet. An attractive place of work, according to Guy, uh, as you'll hear now, hasn't got a lot to do with those things. So number one out of five, he says leverage automation to avoid wasting time. Now, hang on. This is all about curbing burnout in accountants, right? That's right. But he sets it up by saying to have an attractive place to work. Yes. That goes burnout. All right. Okay. Leveraging automation to avoid wasting time. And his first line is enhancing productivity is essential. Now, normally, an accountant would look at enhancing efficiency as being essential. You know, And they said being how productive you are, not how fast you are, is the difference here. For me, the main point of this one is that where Guy says, another example is through the optimization of client engagement. This helps significantly increase the efficiency of firms in comparison to those opting for traditional methods. So client engagement, do you have a set of automated emails that go out? Do you have an automatic onboarding process? Do you have automatic reminders for year-end meetings and so on? So leverage automation to avoid you having to look through files to find when it was a year since you last did this, to make a phone call, to try and get something in the diary, to have all of that automated avoids wasting time and severely reduces the workload. That was his number one. It's worth pointing out that Guy Pearson is the CEO and founder of Ignition, one of our commercial partners here on the podcast, Martin, and they're all about automating these onboarding and client relationship processes. So he knows what he's talking about in this regard. He, he does, and you could point to a bias there as well. And so well, he would say that. But of course, he's seen the evidence. So number two, uh, you can't blame him for bias over, which is become an expert in the verticals that you're actually passionate about. And one of my contentions is that firms often don't care about their clients. It took a global pandemic for firms to say to me, we really got close to our clients, Martin, and understand what they're trying to achieve. It took a pandemic. So to become an expert in verticals you're passionate about turns the work into joy, turns the drudgery into a calling or a vocation. So I love that point that you're still doing accounting work as always, but for businesses that you actually give a stuff about. It saves you having to fake sincerity with people. And I love that particular tip at number two. At number three, it talks about build relationships for the future. And he says, accountants need to invest in business relationships that serve them, which means getting paid what you're worth. Now, before we go into a whole pricing debate here, the point here is that I was with a top 10 firm a couple of weeks ago who had little or no relationship with the business community around them. And they simply pick up the work that walks in the door. So on that basis, 
building relationships serves you now and in the future, but it's not something that we find ourselves doing a lot of because we're too busy chasing deadlines. It's a discretionary activity, isn't it, Mark? It's what we do after we charge the hours. It's like networking and business development and golfing and spending time with your kids. It's what you do when you're not doing the work. Hence, it falls to the bottom of the pile. Yeah, so if you can find time to not be too busy to be too busy, then you can start actually building things. Number four, set boundaries to prioritize workloads. My old boss used to have what we called submarine time, which means he was submerged. You couldn't interrupt him. You weren't allowed to call him. You weren't allowed to send him an email. Everything was on do not touch me, do not disturb. And it says set boundaries to help prioritize workloads. This is because he could never get through a full day's work because everyone was walking through his door with a stupid question. So submarine time became a part of our culture in that organization because we knew there were times when we were not allowed to interrupt for any reason. If the office building was burning down, he expected us to not tell him about it, just go and put the fire out. And that became a boundary that we knew we had to respect. Otherwise, he spends his day dealing with people who are walking in the door, goes home and still has a workload to create through. And that's how burnout happens. And then number five is a bit more intangible. Lean into your company culture. Now, that's a, again, we've got a horrible modern phrase here, lean into it, yeah. Uh, let's pull that into English for you. Make an effort, says Guy, to lean into resources and voices sitting at your doorstep. An important approach to any business is to ensure that there is an appealing environment for employees or clients and requests uh, are being heard. In other words, listen to your people. Lean into company culture means pay attention to what's going on around you. Be available. So if you're going to set a boundary for submarine time when you can't be disturbed, set another boundary for when you can be nothing but disturbed. And be aware of how it feels to be on the end of your instructions, how it feels to come to work at the place that you own, how it feels to be recognized or not recognized for the work you do in your firm. When he says lean into your company culture, he means pay attention to it, understand it, get to know it, and then improve it. And by doing so, fewer employee issues coming to your door, fewer team members handing their resignations, reducing burnout. So there we have our five tips. Summarized again, we have leverage automation to avoid wasting time, become an expert in, in verticals that you're passionate about, build relationships for the future, set boundaries to help prioritize workloads, and lean into your company culture. Five tips that I think you'll agree, Rob, if they were ever to be implemented, would have the desired effect. Yeah, it's a terrific piece, and Guy knows what he's talking about. I'm interested in it from two angles. One is from the leadership of a firm, the L&D, the HR people, the people that are hiring, the senior partners, to bring that staff through that don't get burnt out, and they create that environment, that culture, with these things in place that makes that firm a great place to work. So that's one thing. And then the other is the accountants themselves taking responsibility for setting up their working environment, their working practices and processes, so that all of these things play out. If they do that, they themselves will take responsibility for their own mental health, mental resilience, and avoid that burnout themselves. Everybody's got a role to play. Yep, absolutely. Everybody's got a role to play. But And the slower day's not coming. It's not like things are going to get easier and, and the workload's be, going to become lighter. We just need to be coping better with the overwhelm of work. Any listener to this podcast who's been in practice, whether as an employee or as a leader, for, for more than five years knows that this is that things aren't going to suddenly get lighter, as you say. There, there is no day of, what should we do today? Coming. Because if nothing else, you find yourself things to get keep busy with. So why not things that are actually going to serve you, your team, your clients, and your future on a perpetual basis? Yep, and that is the news plus, as we say on Accounting Influences. We give you the news plus what it means for you as an accounting practitioner. Now go and avoid burnout and take it easy while doing your work at the same time. Improve your practice.
while decreasing how hard you work to make your firm really fly. Really fly. The Accounting Influencers fly. Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. Welcome to our special guest this week. I'm thrilled to have with me an old friend, Des O'Neill. Good day, Des. How are you, Rob? Delighted to be here. We're splendid. Des, for people that haven't come across you, tell us what you do and how you help accountants. Um, I am an accountant by trade and profession, but about 20 years ago, I founded a company with a view to helping accountants um, in their business, helping accountants in their education, and to basically help accountants realize their business potential in their businesses, but also for their clients. So uh, we founded the Omnipro Group, and a key part of the Omnipro Group is cpdstore.com, where we provide uh, continuing professional education and development um, for accountants. Predominantly, our market is accountants in practice. That's who we've worked with for the last 20 years. CPD, CPE, as they call it in the US, continued professional education. How important is that for accountants? You see, I passionately believe that it's changing, Rob. I passionately believe that doing continuing professional education or continuing professional development for the purposes of ticking the box to comply with the institute requirements, that's not what it's about anymore. But that's how it's been, hasn't it, Des, for many, many years. Let's be compliant. Let's keep on the right side of the regulations and the new tax laws coming in. It's been about preventative. Yeah, it's it's about, for a lot of people, it's been about taking the box. And they go to interesting conferences and interesting seminars. But I actually believe that personal development and professional development is playing a much bigger part in the profession now and is going to play an even bigger part in the profession. It's not just the accountants themselves, Rob. It's their team and it's their people. You know, we've heard in the last 12 months about the great resignation and we've heard statistics recently of the numbers of people who are going to quit their jobs in 2022 and 2023. Yeah. And this is impacting on the profession. So when people are working now, they're, they're not just working for a wage anymore. That day is gone. They need a career. They need career development. They need fulfillment. They, they want to evolve as people. And, and basically, when we're employing people or when we're working in a business, it's about bringing people to the next level. So that's why I'm passionate about CPD. And that it's, it's not just ticking the box that it's actually real life learning, real life development. It's a really good sentiment. And one accounting leader might say to another one, well, we bring our people up and develop them through our culture, through our internal coaching and mentoring. That's not a CPD issue. The L&D department of that firm might have a different idea, but technical compliance has been CPD historically. What kind of things do you think comprehensive CPD, CPA involves now? Continuing professional education is no longer just about one component done a certain way. It's not about auditing. It's not about financial reporting. It's not about tax. It's about all of those. But it's about all of those blended together in a way that gets us the result. So it's the very same, Rob, as if you're doing exams. Some people are excellent doing exams and they acquire knowledge in a way to get a result in the examination. Yes. This is about application of knowledge. And you see, we've got to now blend the technical expertise to blend them with the practical expertise, the problem solving, communication, the personal awareness, the practice management. They meet in the middle with the likes of cyber. And development and learning now, it's not just about the subjects, it's about how you do it. So we believe that learning needs to be something that we can consume in the way that works for us. 
For some of us, it'll be people like here on this podcast. It'll be audio learners. Yes. Others, it'll be visual. It'll be the videos. More people, it'll be text. We want to blend all those modalities and make basically CPD and learning and development available on demand and in whatever format or modality suits the individual. You bring up a really good point as well, Des, that it's not just the acquiring of the knowledge and the learning. It's the implementation and the execution of that. That's what makes it all happen in a firm, makes it worthwhile. I've worked um, at institutes and I've worked, I'd say, at at national level in terms of standard setting with the Auditing Practices Board. And the one common thing that I've heard since I've become an accountant is the lament of the older generations (laughs) that the newer generations don't have what it takes. Now, this has been going on since time began, right? So we've got to take it with a pinch of salt. But there truly is, when you get into technical and professional education, there truly is an issue with how people are being educated and the ability to problem solve and practically apply appears to be diminishing, getting weaker. Now, if I'm an accountant and I want to have the best people to give the best possible service to my customers, that skill and ability to innovate, to apply and to take theoretical, technical knowledge and practically apply it. That's really where the challenge is. I love that. And when you say lament, there's probably a lament going the other way as well, where the younger generation are looking at the older ones and saying, well, you don't get it. You're not keeping up with the times. Things are changing. Well, there's a really important point there, Rob. I saw something recently and it was about parenthood. And what it said was every parent raises their child at least one, if not two generations too late. How do you mean? Because if I raise my kids and you raise your kids based on your experience of growing up and how you're going to do it better and differently than what your parents did, Mm. that's brilliant. But it's not how they need to be raised. You've got two daughters, Rob, right? So you've got one getting married, you've got one going to college. Your daughters are two generations behind you. (laughs) Even when you do your best, you're not walking in their shoes. So yes, there is lament on both sides because there's lament because the older generation say, well, we know how to do it better. And the younger generation are saying, you don't have a clue what it's like to be us. What you're talking about here with the CPCPD beyond the technical stuff, it's business acumen, it's business awareness, commercial awareness, so that accountants can talk to their clients about stuff that's beyond the technical, start to weave stories around the numbers. That's the application of CPD and CPE, isn't it? Look, you've got to have the technical points. You've got to, you've got to get it right. Yeah, that's you've got to know what tax standard. is and how it works, yeah. That's the minimum standard. Yes. But it's, it's, it's what you just said, Rob. It's the story around the numbers. Mm. It's the understanding. It's the application. Part of that actually starts in personal awareness. Where are my strengths and weaknesses and where do I need to bridge the gap? Mm. Um, what do my clients want and need and how do we deliver that to them? And then it's about the communication piece. It's about the understanding piece, but it's about communicating in a way that we can be understood. How do accountants access CPD, CPE these days? There's, there seems to be a lot of platforms. Our podcast here is CPE accredited. So lots of different ways to go. Some are presumably better than others. People have different learning styles. What's your take on that? It's like everything, Rob, in the information age. There was a time when information was valuable. I don't know what it was like for you growing up, Rob, but the full extent of my global knowledge as a child was the World Book Encyclopedia set. (laughs) It was in the good sitting room, okay? So you had 26 volumes of an encyclopedia, and that was the full extent of the knowledge that we had in the world. You were better brought up than I was, Des. We didn't have those encyclopedias. That was for the posh houses down the road. (laughs) But yeah, I I get what you're saying. So that was the full extent of our knowledge. Information is free everywhere. 
You go on to Google, you go on to, you go anywhere, you can get information, you can get data. The first concept is taking information and organizing it in a way that it's consumable as knowledge. That's phase one. The next phase is taking the knowledge and making it consumable in a way that you can be practically apply it. The continuing professional education is everywhere, but it's a question of finding the platform which gives you the quickest, easiest access that works for you. Like one of our concepts is we provide per minute CPD. So you can literally go in, search, ask a question, and in getting the answer to the question, get your CPD. So whether you're somebody who likes to listen, whether you're somebody who likes to watch, or you're somebody who likes to read, all the different modalities of learning, it becomes, instead of being continuing professional development, it's like a knowledge hub where we go to get answers. And I think that's the big shift. There's lots of knowledge, lots of information everywhere, freely available. But now it's a question of time is money, Rob. 1,440 minutes a day, 168 hours a week. We've got to spend the time on the things that are truly most important. And that's another consideration here, acquiring knowledge in a way that's timely and effective and practically applicable. You made a very good point, Ellie. You, you glanced off it, Des, but I'm going to come back to it. The CPD is for teams as, and, and people as a whole. So I've seen some firms where one guy will do one lot of CPD because that's what he feels he needs and that that lady will go and do another little bit, but it's not joined up. It's not strategic. It's not got any L&D oversight. So they're all doing the little things. They're not working well as a team. They're not thinking for the good of the firm. So Presumably, CPD Star Omnipro, you help them join that up, do you? We do. We do help them join that up. But the most important thing, Rob, is what you've just said. It's the firm's awareness. Accountancy as a business is incredibly simple. The accountancy profession make it difficult. There's only six component parts to running an accountancy business. Strategy, people, customers, your four Ps of proposition, product, price, and positioning, growth, and leverage and scale. Now, from a strategic perspective, the single biggest limiting factor to the business of accounting in the future is going to be people. Customers are the number one thing in a business because you've got to serve your customers. But actually, despite all the technological evolution, we've got to embrace technology as part of our strategy. But the biggest limiting factor is the people who are going to get the result for the customers. So you see, if firms don't look at learning and development from a strategic level, how do we attract and retain the people who are going to help us deploy the technology and the systems to get the result for our customers? There has to be a joined up thinking. There, there has to be a team-based approach. It's, it's like a sports team, Rob. You, you don't go out and play in every position. You don't play in goal. You don't play in backs. You don't play in midfield. You don't play in forwards. You've got a position and your training and your skills are honed to play in that position. We have to take a collective view as an organization. How are we going to get the best for our team and the best out of our team? And learning and development plans play a crucial part of that. One of my questions to ask you is the biggest threat facing accounting firms in the next two or three years. You, you've touched on talent. Is that it, Des, or is there something else? I think that people is the single biggest limitation. No matter what problem I have, you have, or your listeners have today, no matter what problem they have, there's one common solution to every single problem. <laughs> yeah. And the common solution to every single problem is instead of thinking, how will I solve this problem? Think, who can help me solve this problem? So if we begin to think who, not how, and we begin to apply that 
whatever way our business is today, if we want to get a better result for ourselves, if we want to get a better result for our customers, if we want to get a better result for our team, who are the who's and who are the people that are going to help us get that result? Right now, coronavirus accelerated it. It, it. it created this concept of the great resignation, but people don't want to go to back to work in traditional ways. And the accountancy profession is really squeezed at the moment in terms of the talent shortage. That's the, the scarcest limiting resource that we have. Like we can find more customers, mm. but getting the people to serve those customers. So I believe the talent is the biggest threat. And you see, you've got to look at the roots of the profession, Rob, and the history. The concept of an article clerk where they paid to qualify as an accountant. And then you had this, it evolved from the article clerk where the person paid to learn the profession to then people were paid very low salaries. I started my journey in the profession, Rob, in 1996. My starting salary was £75 a week. <laughs> right? I'm not, I'm not 80 here, Rob. I'm in my mid-40s. I was paid £75 a week. It was cheaper to get me to hand-deliver the post around the town where I trained. I was working for Big Four, PwC. It was cheaper to get me to hand-deliver the post for the afternoon than put stamps on the envelopes. Wow. You see, that model is so broken. And we have the younger generation of accountants who get this, but there's still a significant number of firms. Do, do you know, the, the war for talent is over, Rob. Talent has won. Mm -hmm. And I don't think the profession has fully, fully embraced that and realized that. What do accounting firms get wrong, Des, when it comes to people and talent? That's a big sigh right there, isn't it? Like, where do I start? Is well, that what that looks for? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's where do I start? There are so many things we could talk about. I, I, I think, Rob, it's a word that you mentioned already in this session, and it's culture. It's culture. And uh -huh. we can have strategies, and we can have plans, and we can have management, and we can have routines and rituals, and we can have KPIs and OKRs. But at the end of the day, the business of accounting is incredibly simple. We need to simplify our strategies but we need to create a culture, a culture of performance, a culture of communication, a culture of customer care, a culture of service, a culture of learning and development. Mm. Like we're going to, look, I'm not one of these people who's the doomsday scenario in that the robots are coming and we're <laughs> all going to be replaced by robots, right? The, the firm of the future, um, and, and I've heard our, our, our mutual friend, Will Farnell, say this. The firm of the future is not the, the technology firm. It's the human firm. Yes. It's how we put the people around the technology. But let's just, let's just be, be realistic here, too. You know, Jeff Bezos invested $100 million into an accounting firm. So the founder of Amazon has invested... 100 million into an accounting firm. Technology is going to change things here. Yes. And we have to embrace technology and not like how we've done it, Rob, for the last 20 years. We, we have to genuinely embrace the change and, and embrace the culture that goes around the technology to, to, to get the result for our clients. Yeah. And 
we've looked at then at the biggest threat facing accounting firms in the next few years. What's the biggest opportunity facing them? Sure, sure the, the biggest opportunity, Rob, is the flip side of the threat of people and the threat of technology. The people who flip that, the people who get ahead. There was an accountant described it to me recently. They've gone through a horrific 12 months trying to recruit people, okay? And they came to breaking point. And, you know, I'm working with them in my Profit Pro group, and they came to breaking point, and we were on a call, and they said, Des, this is like the Titanic. It's going down. Mm -hmm. The ship is going down. Every accountant's in the same boat. I've got a choice. I can go down with this ship, or I can fight for survival and be one of the ones who thrives in this time of adversity. And, and it's the same. The, the, the people who are concerned about technology and the rate of change and the likes of that Jeff Bezos investing 100 million and the rapid investment that's now going into the accounting profession. The ship has left the port. It has set sail. It's mm. on the open seas. We have a choice here. We've got to direct our ship and we can sail into the hazards, we can sail through the hazards, or we can sail around the hazards. So the threats, the threats are the opportunities, because we all know the accountancy profession is not the greatest people to change. Mm. I'll tell you a little story, Rob, right? A little story. This world-renowned nature photographer was deep, deep in Africa with their guide. And they were getting photographs of, of, of lions and tigers in their natural habitat. And they were hiding in the bush and they were capturing the photographs. And the native tracker, um, the native tracker goes to the photographer to be quiet. But the photographer sneezes. The pack of lions looks over to the bush. <laughs> the photographer sneezes again. With this, the native tracker pulls a backpack off his back and puts on a pair of runners. And the photographer says to him, why are you putting on a pair of runners? You can't outrun the pride of lions. And the guy goes, I don't have to outrun the pride of lions. I only have to outrun you. Hmm. So the accountants who can outrun and embrace the change and embrace the learning and embrace the development and the opportunities that are out there, that's, that's the flip side of the trade. Yeah, that's really good. Des, we'll put your contact details on the show notes for this episode. When people go to CPD store and check out OmniPro, what are they likely to find there that will help them? Um, CPDstore.com, um, it's very, very simple. We have one thing that we do on CPDstore.com, and that's make learning and development easier and better. And you can buy our courses individually. Um, so you can buy a single course, you can buy a conference, um, but what we're really excited about is our platform, which we've developed, which is a blended learning opportunity. And if you become a CPD Club member, um, that's where you can access our live, live CPD, on-demand CPD, our CPD searchable database, our text CPD, um, our audio downloads. You can, you know, and, and you can search our knowledge hub of information. And um, so that's what you will find on cpdstore.com. And it comes down to 
people development, doesn't it? If if people are the biggest threat to the accounting profession, but people are also the biggest opportunity for the accounting profession, then we need to be upskilling people, teaching, coaching, mentoring, training them, not leaving them yesterday where they were the day before, constantly moving them forward to equip them for the modern challenging world that we're in. That would, I guess, be your closing message here, wouldn't it? There's no such thing as a job for life anymore, Rob. Yes. We only have people. We can only capture their hearts and minds for a short amount of time. And when people come into our business, we want to get the best out of them. We want to get the best for them. But we've got to work on the basis. If we can develop and evolve them as people and develop and evolve them in their careers, our customers will get the best out of them. Our business will get the best result. And we may not keep them all. But if we present ourselves as a learning organization, as a developing organization, as an organization that can add value to my personal career, this is how we attract the talent through learning development and a winning culture. This is how we retain the talent. And we're going to win some, we're going to lose some, but it is about talent, it is about people, and it is about evolution and innovation. Well, Desonil, that's been an inspiring call to arms. Thanks so much for your time and your insights today. Thank you, Rob. World Tower, here's what works section. This is where Martin and I look for practical things that have come from the trenches from Martin and I's 50-odd years in consulting, training, mentoring, coaching accountants. And this is stuff that works on the front line. And Martin, we're talking about a word today that is not usually associated with accountants, and that's the word empathy. So let's kick off by asking what empathy means in the Martin Bissett Dictionary of Life and Business. It means being human, <laughs> um, which is not a, a core strength uh, of the profession. It means understanding how someone else is feeling, not sympathizing. That's being sorry for the situation that they're feeling. Empathizing is understanding and putting yourself in their shoes. Why is that norm, not normally associated with accounting profession? Because speaking in a very, very broad way, then the profession attracts people who are attracted to process um, and to discipline uh, and want to help people, but generally like an exact science rather than intangible, a tangible rather than intangible. Uh, and as such, their work is with systems and processes. Their systems, their work is not generally with humans on an ongoing basis. You don't have to understand emotional issues to carry out accountancy work. You have to understand technical issues to carry out accountancy work. Guys, I was um, on a podcast recently. Uh, I was very, very uh, honored to be invited to join the, um, the accounting and finance show. I believe it's called, my apologies if it's not called that, but I do remember that it was hosted by Terrell Turner, who really stands out to me as a fantastic voice, really one to watch in the profession, bright, enthusiastic, knowledgeable, and experienced all at the same time. And we were talking about this idea of empathy. And so many times I have found in working with practices that they they want to take a behavior and turn it into a process. They're the partners, that is. Take a behavior and turn it into a process. So I was telling this particular story on this show. If you listen to this show, you'll know this story. I was with an eight-partner firm many years ago that has since been sold into one of the top 10 firms in the UK. We were talking about first meeting objectives with a new potential client. Good etiquette, good you know, best practice, basically. I found that whatever place I was starting from, the partners were pushing back to me and saying, no, 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 Martin, before that, before that, what do you do before that? No, 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 what do you do before that? And it kept getting more and more basic. And so because I'm a flippant person by nature, I said, jokingly, I said, well, Peter, how about starting with eye contact and a good firm handshake? 
And I meant it as a joke. And he picked up his pen, put his head down and went, uh, yep, good firm handshake and eye contact. And they looked back up at me and said, well, have you got a checklist for that? I went, no, I haven't got a checklist for that. You know, and got quite angry at the situation. Do we have to, do we really have to instruct on that level? So I then looked at the room and I said, okay, everyone, hands up if you've got a ring on the third finger of your left hand. And of course, most of them did. And I said, right, you have a significant other, a spouse, a husband, a wife, whatever it happens to be. And at some point, there was a time when they were not married to you and they had to become convinced to be married to you. So unless they were desperate or you were the last game in town, you had to fight off competition for this and actually create some sort of rapport and empathy. And I said, to everybody who is married in this room, when you were courting the uh, object of your desire, did you say, uh, now then, object of my desire, in step one, I shall ask you out on a date. In step two, you will accept that and we will walk towards the restaurant. In step three, you will eat food and enjoy it. In step four, I will tell a funny joke. <laughs> In step five, you will agree to me. And of course we didn't do that. So why are we trying to turn a behavior into a process? Okay. So the overriding point of this, guys, in terms of what works is this. That if you want a business owner, be it an existing client of yours or a prospective client of yours, to understand why they should give you more money than they currently do if they're an existing client, or why they should break their loyalty barrier to their existing accountant to come to you, that is not going to be a decision they make without feeling like you care about their business to the extent that they care about their business. In other words, you have to empathize with phrases like this. And what happened next? And phrases like this. And that must have really hurt you. How did you react? And phrases like this. And so what have you done since that point to rectify the situation? And phrases like this. And what are the plans going forward? And phrases like this. And what are the consequences of that not being achieved? And to play out in your mind what they are playing out in their mind. Because guess what? When you empathize with a potential or existing client, there is an increase in desire to spend more time with you, to have your expertise on hand, and to invest in your smarts being part of their business. Without that, relegating everything down to a process, you are like the rank and file, which is why so many businesses will tell us that they cannot distinguish one accountant from another because everything's a process and a system. So great guys, have a process and a system by all means. Internally, once you get back to the office, do that by all means. When you're with your own kind, when you're out there with human beings, start to understand why they do what they do, why they're being held back, why they feel frustrated, why they feel optimistic, and start to plug yourself into those feelings so you can demonstrate to them that you care like they do. Because if you don't care about your clients, what is the point? Just find some other way to make money. But Martin, what about accountants listening to this and saying, well, honestly, I don't care. That's not my nature. It's my job to produce the numbers, to produce the reports, to give the intelligence. Don't turn me into a robot by giving me things to say so that I sound insincere. That's not going to work either. Absolutely right. So if you are an accountant who genuinely doesn't care, and there are plenty of them, I've met them along the way, then understand that you don't get to argue and moan and whinge about fee pressure, that you don't get to experience massive proactive growth, that you don't get to be that highly valued practice that gets many times its GRF on sale because it, it has got an incredibly diverse client base of highly profitable work and broad IP built around it as well. You don't get those things, guys because you are process people. And there's nothing wrong with being process people. There's no judgment here. There are simply choice and consequence. When you empathize, you win people's hearts and minds. When you stick to the process, you win whatever job that you're the cheapest for on that given time. So yes, that is a generalization. Yes, that is a broad brush. But over the piece, what works 
empathizing with potential clients so that they understand why they should be with you and not with their current accountant. And let me contribute with a quick story to finish off. How to get somebody to fall in love with you. There was once a lady, Martin, she was in love with two men. And they both wooed her. And on the same night, both men at different times asked this woman to marry them. So she was under such a dilemma because she's got a big choice to make. And lo and behold, as she's crying in her room, wondering what choice to make, the fairy godmother pops up and says, what is the matter, my child? Oh, I've got these two men in my life. I love them both. They both love me. They both asked me to marry them. I don't know what to do. And she said, well, tell me about Jim. She said, Jim's great. He's done all of these things. He's fantastic. And when I'm with Jim, he makes me feel like he's the most amazing man in the world. And I'm so lucky to be with Jim. And the fairy godmother said, tell me about Charlie. Well, Charlie's the most amazing guy. He's done some amazing things. And when I'm with Charlie, he makes me feel like I'm the most amazing person in the world. And he's so lucky to be with me. And as she said those words, she made up her decision. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? That's empathy, isn't it? Absolutely right. Absolutely right. So I think we've made the point, guys. And hopefully this wasn't new information to you. This was simply a validation of what you already knew. But we don't apologize for that, Martin. Sometimes we've got to go back to basics and remind our accounting listeners what's important. Everyone needs a refresh. But this is a section of our show called Here's What Works. And time after time, year after year, never falls out of fashion. The old and uh, very cliched adage of people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care is particularly true in accountants trying to proactively win clients to do more than just compliance for them and to break away from an accountant who's perfectly competent in the compliance area. And we know they can do it because having accountants over COVID pandemic times become counselors, therapists, uh, friends, shoulders to cry on, uh, psychotherapists, because they've gone beyond the finance and the numbers to be that empathetic ear you're talking about. And not, not just become that, but excelled at it. Absolutely excelled at it. Didn't charge for it, unfortunately, but yes, excelled at it. And this is the most noble iteration of your, of your technical skill set. It is to translate your technical skill set into a way that keeps the walls from the door from the client if they're on the survival end of the spectrum or makes their professional and personal aspirations come true for the, at the uh, thriving area of, of the spectrum. That's what you guys can do. And there isn't another profession in the world that can replicate it. Yeah, I remember a story of a, a kindergarten child going to the head teacher at the school and saying, sir, you sit in your office all day. I don't see you do anything. What do you actually do? And he said, yes, I sit in this room and I care. And that's what this is all about. This is what works with accountants, Martin, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And I would commend this to the house, as a good friend of mine says, uh, and would ask you that the next time you speak to anybody who is paying you money, take a moment to say, how are you doing? And let the conversation roll from there. You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast, cutting through the crap to bring you the very best interviews, insights, and wisdom from the planet's most influential people in the accounting and fintech world with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. And a big shout out to one of our newest commercial partners here on the podcast, it's Practice Ignition. Martin, how would you explain what those guys do? Businesses such as accounting and bookkeeping firms use Practice Ignition to one, help them grow, two, be more efficient, and three, create win-win client relationships. There are nearly 5,000 accounting and professional services firms around the world who use Practice Ignition, and they do so to win new business with impressive digital proposals. They engage clients with a clear scope of work, and get paid on time by automating payment collection. PI integrates with the leading business apps such as Gusto, QuickBooks, Xero, Zapier, and it does so to automate time-consuming tasks. 
That means less admin and more time for clients, Rob. We've got a special offer from our PI partners. Use the code AIR21 to receive 25% off all plans for your first six months. But that's 25% off with the code AIR21. And the link is info.ignitionapp.com forward slash AIP for accounting influencers. Practice Ignition, it's time to ignite your practice. So it's our special guest today. We've got Matt Baldwin back for the second time from Coast Communications. Matt, we don't bring everyone back a second time, but we had a brilliant conversation last time on thought leadership. We're going to continue that today. So great to have you with us. It's really lovely to be back, Rob. Thank you again for having me. Matt, just for those people that haven't come across you before, what do you do? Um, well, I'm, I'm Matt Baldwin. I lead a, a PR and marketing company called Coast. We specialize in working with uh, professional services firms, law and accounting firms on PR programs and impactful thought leadership and content programs. Do lawyers look at thought leadership any differently to accountants or other professional service organizations? Um, I don't think lawyers do. I think lawyers and accountants, there's a, a huge amount of similarities in the way they approach. I think where the difference is, is a lot of the property consulting firms and the, the management consulting firms, firms like McKinsey, for example, take a very, very different approach. We're talking about thought leadership today. We covered it in the last episode, and we'll put that episode in the show notes for people. Just quickly define for us what thought leadership is again, Matt, so we're all on the same page. Thought leadership is, is sort of that a campaign-based approach to business development where you're picking up on a particular theme, an issue. I think um, there are also thought leaders, and thought leaders are something very, very different from thought leadership. Thought leadership is often at a firm or team level. Thought leaders are individuals that are really pushing the dial on the way they have conversations with clients and the information that they're creating and sharing. So there is a big difference between thought leadership and thought leaders. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, they do share a lot of common things, but thought leaders tend to be a, a little bit more of a solitary activity that's driven by uh, the individual themselves and their own passions, their own desires to change. Um, uh, and, and business development may or may not be the primary aim for doing that. Thought leadership is a much more collective um, activity that will wrap in some of the activities of individual thought leaders. That makes sense. Thank you very much for clarifying that. And our brand is Accounting Influencers. We have the podcast here. We have the roundtable we call Air, the Accounting Influencers Roundtable. And we talk a lot about influence. We know what influence isn't. It is not social media likes and thumbs up and having necessarily more friends and more followers and talking about what you had for tea or the latest bar that you've been to. We're talking about valuable content here. So talk to us about what thought leaders do. Mm. I think it's it's really interesting. I mean, thought leaders will use social media to help disseminate their message. But what thought leaders are doing is thinking long and hard about the issues that will affect their clients, an industry sector, their own profession. They'll be thinking possibly many years in advance. And what they are trying to do is, is give clients, give industries or groups of people um, an insight and some thinking on some of the things that ought to be on their radar, um, and if not now, will be at some point in, in, in the near future. I mean, the best way to um, probably illustrate that is if you look at McKinsey, uh, the management consulting firm, they have built their whole consulting business over many decades by having really, really strong, powerful, impactful thought leaders. And it's not just commenting on what's going on, thought leaders, 
command the direction and the narrative and they say to people that are not sure what to be thinking about, here's what you should be concerned with and here's why. So they do start to prom- promote conversations, don't they? They do. And that's where they share that sort of common ground, I guess, with thought leadership. It, it is that whole process of engaging clients, encouraging clients to think in a slightly different way, you know, or encouraging their clients to think about things that are going to be on their radar in the near future. And I think it's a really powerful thing for an accountancy firm to encourage and celebrate and support those thought leadership, thought leaders. I think in another world, we'd have probably called them rainmakers, actually, Rob. They're the people that are out there really shifting things forward. So it's important for a firm to have thought leaders. If they don't have, I guess there's that vacuum in putting out valuable content or it falls to the marketing people that are not necessarily professionals doing the work and experiencing the problems that clients have. I think it is. You're right. And I think what thought leaders do is it differentiates um, the conversations a firm has to have with its clients on a day-to-day basis because there is the, the stuff that happens that clients need to know. Um, it, and that's in your newsletters, your blogs, your the PR, the articles that you write for whatever magazine it may be. What thought leaders are doing is putting that to one side and saying, do you know what? What is going to be happening tomorrow? What is going to be happening next year? And you'll see that in a lot of the conversations that were happening over the last sort of year or two on how COVID will impact the future of work how COVID will uh, change the ESG agenda, um, the continuing rise of technology. It's individuals thinking hard about the big issues of the day that will shape uh, industry tomorrow. I love that phrase, thought leaders thinking hard, because the standard accountant will tell you how busy they are, probably the average lawyer as well. And they say, we, we haven't really got time to think, but this is what good thought leaders do, isn't it? They take that time out and ponder stuff and see the patterns and the trends and the openings. Therein lies a real challenge for most um, professional services firms and accountants in particular. We are so busy in the day-to-day that how do you carve out time in your busy diary to, to think about these things? And it does take time. It's not something that is going to come to you in between a call with a client at 9 a.m. and another call with a client at 10 a.m. So you do have to, if it's something that an individual wants to explore, they do have to think, how can we carve out some time in our day, in our week or month, to give a little bit of thought about where we are going? And that's an excellent point. As you mentioned with rainmaking earlier, it's a discretionary task. It's what you do beyond the fee and beyond the chargeable hours. It's what you do with that spare time, if you like. Do you go home and spend it with your kids and have a life and or play golf or go to the gym? Or do you spend a little bit of time nurturing your network, building relationships, doing business development? That's a discretionary task. Thought leadership, thinking about things, reading outside, reading about what different industries are doing, that building that commercial acumen, that prompts thoughts. And I guess some people are not tuned in DNA-wise to do that, and some people don't have the inclination to do it. Not everyone could be a thought leader, perhaps. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, a firm doesn't want, you don't want a firm full of thought leaders. I mean, otherwise, a firm will be creating an awful lot of noise. So nothing would get done, really. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I think what um, firms can do is there will be people in their organisation. If they harden up, they will find people that have a natural slant towards 
this kind of activity and they will be the ones that will be putting themselves up to write an article for a newspaper right uh, 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 chairing a webinar or seminar or event or going off into whatever industry conference it might be these people are there and i think where a firm can help them is help carve out time for them and encourage their marketing team to support these individuals in developing those skills further. And they are skills that can be developed and grown and supported and encouraged. How typically do thought leaders express themselves? You mentioned a few ways there. There's obviously a number of ways to go about it. There is. And I think um, what we find, I mean, it's the, the written word is usually the, the, the place where they start. And I think that perhaps is is where um, accountants, many of them are traditionally quite conservative and much more comfortable putting pen to paper. Well, the word author is the derivation of authority, isn't it? If you put something in print, it gives you that credibility. So that's an obvious way to go. It is, but it's not the only way to go. We're having this conversation via a podcast. So we're seeing a lot of thought leaders actually thinking it's a lot easier to spend 15 minutes putting together a podcast, putting together uh, a video or something like that, rather than spend agonising hours and hours and hours over, over a written article. I don't think it really matters how you do it. I think you've got to think about, again, who your audience is. Who is, as a thought leader, who are you trying to reach? Who are you trying to influence? What you're trying to do is, I think with a lot of accountancy firms, is make that shift away from sort of that compliance type work that needs to be done to that sort of more strategic advisory consulting work that um, firms want to do more of. And it's thinking, how do we then engage that audience? And what is the best medium? Is it going to be written? Is it video? Is it events? Is it um, whatever? And it doesn't really matter. Once you've then decided on that, it's then thinking long and hard about how you structure your thoughts, your argument, the piece that you want to create. Um, And I think that's where a marketing and business development team should really be able to help the, the accountants develop that. And when it's done right, Matt, what is the obvious impact of thought leaders in a firm? The real impact is elevating not only the individual, but the firm above the day-to-day. Everybody knows that you need, as a business, you need your accountant to run your payroll, to do your, I don't know, your back returns, your audit, your whatever it might be. I think what this does is show to a organization, an industry, a group of clients, or whatever it might be, that we actually really understand this space. We really know we're under the skin of our industry sector, our clients, and we are here, we are the right people to guide you through what is going to be a really complex and turbulent next few years. It is that navigation that's needed, that signposting, the telling people, here's what you need to be thinking about. So how do firms support and develop good thought leaders? where individuals express that desire or show an inclination to do this. I think uh, there is so much that a firm can do. We've touched on carving out a bit of time for them to do that. I think marketing teams can help them with the writing, the production, the uh, 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 sort of getting together those ideas down on paper, disseminating those ideas. I think a good marketing team should actually be able to sit down with their colleagues and say, do you know what, this idea is fantastic. This is going to work best on paper or it's going to work best on video or audio, or with your idea, I think actually maybe you should be looking at exploring this a bit more over here or that a bit more. It shouldn't be a passive relationship. And what we find as well is actually a lot of um, 
actually just doing some basic things like some uh, some masterclasses on how to create really compelling articles, how to lead really good videos, bringing in some trainers to help do that is just a really practical way that you can help um, develop these thought leaders. They can always get you to do it for them, Matt. They can indeed, and we have done that. And uh, one of the nice things we've done with some firms is you you, you gain the whole process. So if, you, if you've got a group of individuals that are wanting to explore this for the very first time, is you set them a challenge. You say, right, we'll lead you through, uh, we'll help you develop an idea. The challenge is we want a thousand words or 500 words or a short 10-minute video from you in six weeks' time. And we will get your peers across the firm to tell us which one is the best. And so you create a mini competition within uh, your firm to, and people, we find that people respond really, really well to that. Now, of course you can't make people do this and you shouldn't make people do this, but it's where they want to and want to explore this and develop their own careers further, then yes, absolutely let them run with it. I love the idea of gamifying thought leadership. That's so good. (laughs) Is there any downside to thought leaders in firms, Matt? Surely it's all good. Um, There are some things that firms need to keep in mind because it's an individual-led activity. We're all different, Rob, and and what's important to me may not be important to you, but may also sit completely counter to where my own firm's vision and values and focus is. So I think individual thought leaders need to understand the the cultural framework of their own firm, which in a small firm is, is hopefully pretty straightforward in much larger firms really challenging. I think there's also client considerations as well as if you're talking about critical of a client industry group or, or a sector, you've got to think what impact might that have on those that we're already working for. And, and also, again, just keep in mind that audience who you are writing for. If your audience is retailers in the northwest of England talking about geopolitics and how that's going to affect manufacturing in, I don't know, the US, it's not going to be of interest to them at all. So again, start with your audience, look at where the culture is of the firm. And and with some firms, it may well be worth having some kind of editorial oversight from the marketing director or the marketing lead, just to make sure it sort of sits with where the firm is going. And presumably what you do, it can be done with any firm anywhere in the world. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it becomes really interesting if you've got a, a firm that's in a, in a big network or a global firm is actually having those different voices from around the world discussing the same sort of issues is phenomenally powerful. Having a good example, sort of writing about the future of work, um, but from a, a US perspective, a, a UK perspective, a European perspective, a, an Asia-Pac perspective. Um, and I think that's really, really interesting and really powerful stuff. What kind of questions would an accounting firm leader or head of marketing be asking themselves, which would warrant the need to bring in some external help from Matt Baldwin and Coast or people like you? There are two things that we find firms need a little bit of coaching, a little bit of help. One is helping individuals come up with the right idea. And and that right idea could be, you could be a really technical thought leader. If if you you get off on BAT and customs, if that's your thing, um, you could become a technical thought leader where you write about that, but not about what's happening on the ground now. It's what needs to change, what needs to happen to facilitate the greater trade across borders. Um, so helping individuals just think a little bit different and come up with the idea is one area where someone like we can help. The other is actually them finding the right medium to hit that right audience. Um, so if it's writing, we can provide that coaching. If it's a sort of video and production, they need help there, 
we can do that too. So that's how you can use an external. But once once the process is going, you shouldn't really need external people at all. It's something that the marketing team and their, their colleagues should be able to keep going themselves. How can colleagues across a professional firm use thought leaders to develop those firms, develop those practices? I mean, this actually goes back to a bit of an earlier point. You don't want a firm full of thought leaders. Um, but what you want is the colleagues of those thought leaders to use and engage with the content that is being created. Um, there is no point one person creating it and everybody ignore it. Um, you want your colleagues to share it, comment on it, maybe take a point of uh, explore one point a little bit further. And that you can bring then that thought leadership, that, that sort of commentary back to the here and now where individuals might be a little bit more comfortable talking about what a client is facing now. So it's sort of helping those VNs, uh, those colleagues, understand what's being created, understand how it's being used, and then the marketing and business development team encouraging and giving uh, those individuals the assets to go out and, and use it. That's such a brilliant point. Nobody wants a blog or an article out there with tumbleweed and no likes and no comments, no reactions, no engagement. So they can help colleagues by getting behind that and being advocates for it, but also sharing it with their own clients that perhaps wouldn't see where that piece of thought leadership goes out, but using that as a conversation starter to say, hey, this might be interesting for you. Absolutely. And, and what we find um, is even the most conservative of professional is quite happy to share something like that because it's quite a um, it's 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 reasonably passive way of engaging with them but you've got to recognize in a firm that there will be people that are reluctant to engage or or don't want to engage and you can't force them to do it all you can do is give them the tools the encouragement the gentle persuasion that this is how they can use it um and encourage them to do so you've been in this game 20 plus years you've seen a lot of changes you've been through recessions and pandemics and all kinds of things What's coming up for thought leadership and professional firms over the next few years that they could really do to get a handle on right now? You know, there are some massive, massive issues that businesses are facing um, uh, and, and which I think are going to be the source for some phenomenally good uh, thought leadership. I think uh, the whole ESG agenda and how business um, reacts to that. I think there's so much more work that needs to be done around there. Um, we've had an awful lot about the future of work um, and technology, how that's changing. That's a conversation that has not finished. I think for accountancy firms, I think that the, the whole international trade issue is something that is is huge. I mean, our position out of Europe is causing problems for businesses trading internationally how that is going to look over the next decade is going to be absolutely critical. And I think there's some really interesting work accountancy firms could be doing there. I also think as well, the elephant in the room is the future of audit. And uh, it's a, it seems to be an issue that many accountancy firms are tiptoeing around. But technology is going to change the way audit uh, happens. And I think there could be some really interesting work there for firms to look at how uh, the audit landscape is going to change and not what it means for the profession, what it means for business. Matt Baldwin, this is so inspiring. It's been brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing your insights today on Thought Leadership. This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. This has been the Accounting Influencers Podcast. You've got this far. We thank you for tuning in. One of our 25,000 listeners all over the world. We're growing by a few hundred each week, and we really value your 
contribution, your patronage of the show, your accounting practitioners, and you people in the fintech world that serve them, sell to them, sell through them. It is great to have you along for the journey. I've been Rob Brown, and along with Martin Bissett, my co-host, we want to thank the guests for this week's show. Remember that on a Monday, you tune into The Big Show, which gives you the interviews, the news, and its practical applications for you in your life. And our practical Here's What Works section that comes out on a Thursday as well as a standalone episode. And remember our Saturday bonus, we're doing a series right now on The Price is Right. It's a play on the game show where we tackle that very prickly subject for accountants, CPAs, bookkeepers on pricing. How do you do it confidently? Now, remember, we know there are lots of podcasts out there. Some of them are very technical in nature. Some of them are very technological in nature, talking about cloud and digital and everything else. We are a show based on performance for accounting practitioners. How can you sell more? How can you be more? How can you do more? How can you serve your clients better? How can you stay informed, build that commercial acumen and awareness that you need? Thank you for tuning in. It's part of your CPE, your CPD, Continued Professional Development and Education. So thank you to Earmark CPE for providing that for us. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you on next week's show. Remember also you've got the Saturday bonus coming up. We teach you the price is right. All the challenges and solutions to getting pricing totally sorted in your accounting practice. Have a great day.